One of my fears for our culture, our time, is that we have tamed Jesus and his word. We have taken God's word and we have taken the teeth out of it, so to speak. We've done this in such a way that it seldom challenges us and it rarely changes us. But as I look at God's word, I see this is not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, you just think about some of the metaphors used for, to describe God's word. Jeremiah calls God's word a hammer and a fire. The author of Hebrews refers to it being sharper than a two-edged sword. Hammers break things. Fires burn things. Swords cut things. God's word would have to challenge us and to change us if it was truly to do these things in our life. But what we have to remember is it's good for God's word to be a hammer a fire and a sword in our lives. God's word is a hammer, a fire and a sword for our good and for God's glory. We're not supposed to fear God's word. We're not supposed to tame God's word, but we are supposed to love God's word more than gold or silver. God's word and our time in the word is not supposed to be bitter, but sweeter than honey. God's word for God's people should not be something we have to make ourselves to study. Rather, we should desire God's word as a baby desires milk. Our desire should be to get everything out of God's word God wants us to get out of his word. How do we do this? We'll open your Bible to Mark 4. And we're going to look at the first 20 verses and we'll see what, what Jesus said about this. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. should be page 763 in the Pew Bible. Mark 4 and 1 says again, he began to teach by the sea and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got onto the boat of the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables. And he was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, a sower went out to sow and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil and they grew up and increased and they yielded a crop that produced 30, 60 and 100 times as much. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve disciples, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the knowledge of God. But for those who are outside, everything comes in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and it would be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones sown with seed in the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Yet they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones Sown with seed among thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those 
are the ones on are the ones sown with seed on the good soil when they hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times as much. Title of the message this morning is getting the most from God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and goodness. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to gather uh, to study your word. Thank you for giving us your word. Father, in your word we have revelation of who you are and what you're like. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. We have your guidance for life, how we're to think, what we're to believe, how we're to live. Father, equip us for a life of godliness and a life to to glorify you. Thank you for this, Lord. We would never we would never come up with these sort of things on our own. Father, on our own, we would stumble in darkness on our own. We would Make up ideas about what you're like that would be idolatry and would not be right. And would in fact be sin and keep us further from you. Thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates the word. Leads us into all truth. Thank you for your word that that does take it and use it like a sword to bring conviction into our life when there's a need. That does use it like a hammer to smash strongholds. We erect in our minds so our thoughts can be taken captive to Christ. Thank you, your Holy Spirit takes the word and uses it like a fire to burn away the junk and the dross from our lives so we can be pure vessels, sanctified, useful in your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for all we have in Christ, that we are favored in the beloved. We have an inheritance, Father, reserved in heaven just for us. Oh, God, if we were to take the time to thank you for everything you have done for us, we would never stop. Father, guide today as we open your word, open our eyes to understand what you have for us, open our hearts to receive it. Let your Holy Spirit use the word like a plow to plow up the fallow ground of our hearts so the good seed would sink deep down and bring forth good fruit in all of our lives for your glory. Let your spirit be upon me to give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I would speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way in every one of our hearts and lives. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The seed sown is God's word. The sower is the one who sows the word. The soils are those who hear God's word. And one of the things I like about this parable is how many different applications it has. One of the more common applications deals with evangelism. Uh, This application connects very nicely to verses 26 through 29. And when we get there, we'll actually look at it in this way. But when we focus on evangelism as the only application, we miss out on, on things God wants us to have from this passage. A part of what we're supposed to see in this passage is ourselves. Just as this passage teaches us different ways lost people respond to God's word and respond to the gospel, we should also see different ways we respond to the word after we hear it. See, it's not just the the preaching of God's word that it's talking about here, but also our private study of God's word. We always respond In this passage, we see ways that we do respond. Let me explain what I mean by not just the preaching, but also our study of God's word. The sower in this parable is anyone sharing God's word. Right now, I am the sower, sowing God's word to all of us in this room. Tomorrow, as you read God's word for yourself, you are the sower, sowing God's word to yourself. Anyone who shares God's word with themselves or with another is sowing the seed. Anyone who reads or listens to God's word is the soil on which the seed is sown. And the different soils explain different ways we can respond 
to God's word as we read it, as we study it, or as we hear it preached and taught. Now, before we get into the different ways we can respond from the text, I want to give you three convictions I have about this story. The first is Jesus wants all of us to be the good soil, the fruitful soil that bears fruit 30, 60 and 100 times as much. Jesus wants every one of his disciples to bear much fruit through their study of his word. It's not something we have to wonder about. This isn't something we have to question. This isn't something we have to hope to be true. This isn't even something we have to pray God would let be true in our lives. This is a certainty. Jesus wants us to be the good soil. The second conviction flows out of the first. Since Jesus wants us to be the good soil, we can be the good soil. Right? We can always do whatever Jesus wants us to do. As we abide in him and he strengthens us to do his will, there is nothing Jesus has called on us to do we are not able to do through him and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, every one of us can consistently bear fruit for God's glory through our study and our reading of his word. And the third conviction is none of us will be the fruitful soil accidentally or automatically. Now, chances are we've all been all of the soils at various times in our life. Any of us can be any soil at any given time. There are times where we are fruitful and then there are times where we are not. We can be any of them. So let's say yesterday you read your word and it was a fruitful time. Things are different. God has worked in your life. You've responded to it in a positive way. That doesn't mean you're going to be the fruitful soil today. Let's say yesterday you were in God's word and it was like it made no sense and it just stood on the top and stress and other things came into your life and it was snatched from you. And today, if somebody were to say, what did you read yesterday? You couldn't even point to the chapter you read, much less anything you got out of it. So just because you were the hard soil yesterday doesn't mean you have to be the hard soil today. Any of us can be any soil at any given time. And we, but we will not be the fruitful soil accidentally. We have to prepare our hearts. We have to prepare ourselves if we want to be the good soil. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke's account of this, we're told Jesus cried this out. So picture Jesus sharing this, talking in a normal conversational tone. And then at some point, he sort of cries out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In doing this, he's emphasizing his words. He's startling them to get their attention. He wants them to know that what he's talking about is very important. And he's telling them how they hear determines what kind of soil they are and what kind of fruit they'll bear. So the lesson for us is how we listen to God's word Determines what we get out of God's word. How we listen to God's word determines what we get out of God's word. Now, since this is true, I'm going to spend our time together today explaining what we can do to ensure we are listening to God's word in a way to get the most out of it. First, prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Verse 15, the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, 
And they hear and immediately Satan comes, takes the word which has been sown in them. In the original saying, before he interpreted the parable, it fell beside the road. Now, the way we should picture this is a well-traveled path. Picture a, a garden with many rows in your mind. And between these rows is the path the gardener goes by to sow the seed that he's planting. He goes through there to sow the seed. He goes through there to pick the weeds. He goes through there to get up the fruit. Now, over time, the, grant, the path that he walks day after day, week after week, month after month, it gets packed down and it becomes hard. And so as he goes out to sow the seed, because the way they sowed seed, they had a bag. And they didn't pick and just put down individuals. They took a handful and they did it like this. And as they threw it, some would land inevitably on the path they were walking. And as it landed on the path they would walk, it would stay there on top of the ground. It would never sink down. It would never bear any fruit. It would never do anything. So what we're wanting is not to be the hard path. We want to be the good ground where the sinks in. So how do we do that? We, we prepare our hearts. We plow up our hearts, as it were, so the word would sink deep in. There's two ways primarily I think we have to do that. One is determined to be a doer of the word. But whenever we hear or whether we read God's word, it authoritatively speaks to us and it demands a response. Again, we call this the word of God or God's word. That's what it is. This isn't my word. This isn't the word of the Free Will Baptist denomination. This isn't the word of the Lockman Foundation who translated this particular Bible. This is the very words of God Himself. And since this is the words of God, it demands a response from us. And since it demands a response from us, we always respond. Right? So that's a key truth for us to understand. Every time we read God's Word, every time we study God's Word, every time we hear it preached or taught, we always respond. And we always respond in one of two ways. We receive it and obey it. Or we reject it and we disobey it. Those are the only two options we have. God has said, this is what you shall do. And in that moment, we have a choice. That's what I'm going to do. And then that's what I do. Or I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm not going to do that. Those are the only options we ever have. There is no third option. There is no third way. There is no Sweden of neutrality where we don't get involved. Once we have been confronted with the Word of God, we have a choice to make. Will I receive it and obey it or reject it and disobey it? When we receive it and obey it, the Word sinks in and brings forth good fruit in our lives. When we reject it and disobey it, it stays on the top because we are hardening our hearts against God. Every time we reject God's word, every time we disobey God's word, we harden our hearts to the truths of God's word. And it makes it so the seed stays up on the top more easily and more often. And it is lost in the process and no fruit is born in our lives. God's word is clear. It is not the hearing of God's word or the reading of God's word is not what brings the blessing, but it is acting on what we've heard, doing what we've read. We don't have time to look at it, but take time and read James 1, 21 through 25. James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. 
James goes on to explain that when we hear and don't do, we deceive ourselves. Think about that. What do we deceive ourselves? We deceive ourselves into thinking hearing but not doing is enough. We deceive ourselves into thinking we have a special deal with God where we don't have to do what He said. We deceive ourselves into believing there is a third path beside disobedience and we get to live in neutrality. We deceive ourselves in some way of convincing ourselves that our not doing is okay with God when it's not. In Matthew 24, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and in Luke 6, 46 through 49, Jesus tells us to build our lives on the solid rock of his word. He tells us the life built on the solid rock of his word will withstand the storms of life, the temptations of the enemy, and the struggles we'll face as we go through our life. But the major point of the story is that we build our lives on the foundation of his word by doing his word. Jesus, in that story, in those parables, Jesus contrasts two builders. One who built on a solid rock, one who built on sand. What makes the difference is that one does the word and one doesn't do the word. The one who does the word builds on a solid rock and is able to withstand the storms of life. The one who doesn't do the word builds on the sand and will collapse when trial and troubles come into their life. Doing the word is so important. In Luke 6.49, at the end of that of his parable there in Luke. He goes so far as to ask why we would even bother calling him Lord if we aren't going to do what he says. That's a big statement. Think about that for a second. Jesus says, why even bother saying I am your Savior and Lord if you're not going to do the things I say to do? The implication is we shouldn't. If Jesus is Lord, we do his will. If he's not Lord, we shouldn't pretend he's our Lord. That's the point he's making. As good as it is to hear God's word, as good as it is to read God's word, and as good as it is to study God's word, God's word is only the solid foundation of our lives as we begin to put it into practice. None of us will ever be the fruitful soul from verse 20 until we act on what we know. So we prepare our hearts before we dig into the word By saying, I'm going to do what God's word says I'm supposed to do. When I read this, if it says, here's what I'm supposed to believe. And and it's different than what I currently believe. I'm going to change what I believe so that it fits with what God's word said I should believe. When I read God's word and it says, here's what you should be doing. And I'm not doing it. I'm going to change my life so I'm doing what he says I should be doing. When I read God's word and it says this is what you should not be doing and I'm doing it. I'm going to change my life and I'm not going to do what God has said I'm not going to do. When I read God's word and it says here's an attitude you have that's wrong. I'm going to change my attitude and bring it into conformity to God's word. But when I read God's word and it says here's how you re- respond to stressors and issues of life. And, I'm, and I don't respond that way. And I'm going to change my life and I'm going to respond in the way God's word says I should respond. And we do that over and over in every area of our life. How we think, how we speak, our relationships, our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions. Again, no area of life is not under the authority of God's word. And we determine, I want to be as much like Jesus as I can. So I'm going to do whatever God's word says to do. 
And wherever it wants me to change, in whatever way I need to change, that is what I'm going to do. And with that sort of a determination to be a doer of the word, our hearts will be prepared. Our hearts will not be the hard ground that lets the seed stay on top and not bear any fruit in our lives. A second way to prepare is to be aware of the opposition. Seed laying on the ground is very susceptible to many dangers, one of which is the birds of the air can come and eat it. Now, birds of the air coming and eating seeds may not sound ominous, as many of us even have bird feeders in our yards. We can watch the birds eat. How dangerous does that appear? But when we look at the interpretation of it, verse 14 or 15, and immediately Satan comes. Some translations say snatches the word away, which has been sown in them. The birds represent Satan who comes and steals the word of God before it has a chance to sink into our hearts and bear good fruit for God's glory. Satan seeks to steal the good seed of God's word from the unprepared heart. I don't know all the ways he does this. I don't know all the ways he works to do it. But I know one of the ways he would do it would be to keep us from God's word. Satan would work to keep us from studying God's word. Satan would work to keep us from reading God's word. Satan would work to keep us from being where God's word is being proclaimed and taught so we can learn from it. Satan does not want us to put God's word into practice. So he was the one who would discourage us and tell us, oh, you shouldn't do that. The world is different now. Things are different. I bet that doesn't mean what you think it means. All of these kind of things to keep us from doing what God has said. So I don't know all the ways Satan would work. Here's what I would say for certain. Anyone or anything keeping us from God's word is something sent from the enemy. The great A.W. Tozer said it this way, anything that keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it may be. Think about it, that would make sense. Is it God the Father that's trying to keep us from His Word? Probably not. Is it God the Son trying to keep us from His Word? No. Is it God the Holy Spirit trying to keep us from the Word? Clearly, that's not the case. So anything trying to keep us from the word would be from the world, the flesh, or the devil. Our three great spiritual enemies. So we prepare our hearts by being aware or beware. There is an enemy who wants to stop us from understanding God's word, applying God's word, and living out God's word. He wants to steal it out of our hearts so that it bears no fruit for God's glory. He works to keep us from the word of God. How we listen to God's word determines what we'll get out of God's word. So to get the most from God's word, prepare our hearts. And to prepare our hearts, we determine to be a doer and we be aware of the reality of spiritual opposition. Secondly, dig deep into God's word. One of the problems plaguing our society is superficialness and shallowness. We see this in virtually every area of life. Think of some of the uber-famous people of our culture and what has made them famous. What are they famous for? Well, many people, they're famous for being superficial and shallow. We not only see this in pop culture, we see it in our relationships. Social media enables us to have superficial and shallow relationships with hundreds of people while not having genuine relationships with hardly anyone. 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying social media is wrong. I have social media, and for the most part, I like social media. But it does breed shallowness and superficiality in relationships. This superficial and shallow attitude carries over into our relationship and our commitment to Jesus. One of the ways we see this is in a shallow and a superficial understanding of God's Word. I'm not talking about not being able to name the 12 tribes of Israel or to name the the minor prophets in order. I'm talking about being able to answer fundamental questions of life. God's Word addresses and answers. Does God's Word promise health and wealth to those who follow Jesus? Does following Jesus mean we'll live a problem-free life? Why did Jesus die and why does that matter to me? Why does it matter if Jesus really rose from the dead? Will I ever stop struggling with sinful desires? Will Jesus make all my problems go away if I just pray and ask Him to do so? These questions and others just like it are answered all throughout God's Word. People don't know what God's Word says about these sorts of issues because they haven't dug deep into God's Word. We see in verse 16, he's talking about those in in shallow soil. Similar way these sown with seed on the rocky places when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy. And yet they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately they fall away. And he's not talking about like soil with a bunch of rocks in it. He's talking about soil that has a thin layer of topsoil and rock as a kind of a bedrock underneath that. So what happens is the, the seed lands on that and it sinks down a few inches And then it bears fruit quickly because it didn't sink quite as far in. But because it's so close to the surface, when the Judean sun spikes down on top of it, it presses on it and it dries it up and it dies. And it has died not because of the sun, because other seed withstood the sun. It dies because it had a shallow root system. Jesus says this represents the superficial type of hearer of God's word. They hear it. Seems to bear fruit like we want. It sprouts up. They're excited. They're, woo, this is perfect. This is wonderful. But it doesn't bear any fruit. It doesn't last. Because trouble happens. Their fruit is fine. Their excitement is fine. Everything is fine. So long as life is fine. But when affliction or persecution or in other, Luke's gospel says temptations occur. They don't last. They wither and they fall away. The sun, the problems of life aren't the problem. It's not that life was so hard it destroyed their faith in God. The problem was they had a shallow understanding of God's word. Their their root system didn't go down deep to enable them to withstand the sun, which, which is going to shine. Hardships are going to come. God's word is clear. We we are all going to go through trials and tribulations for a variety of reasons. Now, God's word is true and Jesus can and will sustain us through that. But our, our roots have to be deep in the word of God. If they're not, the heat from the trials are going to scorch it and we're going to wither and we're going to die. Many times the reason... People fall away in the midst of trials and hardships is because they have no idea what God's word says about 
anything beyond superficial and shallow things. They don't know, Jesus said, in this world we will have many trials and sorrows. They don't know, God's word says, if we want to share in the glory of Jesus, we must also share in the suffering of Jesus. They don't know, God's word says, there's an internal struggle between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit, and we're never free of this struggle. That They just don't know what God's word says about these very real and very important issues. The problem is not that God's word doesn't address these things. The problem is not that these things are hidden and deep and you have to understand Greek and Hebrew to pull out what what it's saying about these things. The problem, one, to the shame of pastors and teachers, is they are not being taught. And the other, to the shame of the individual disciple of Jesus, they are not reading God's Word. And so when they're not taught... And when we're not in the word ourselves, then what the word says will happen, happens. People aren't prepared. They wither up and they fall away. As a pastor, I have a responsibility to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. This is a responsibility I take very seriously. It's one reason we go through books of the Bible. But... No matter how serious I take it, how many books of the Bible I preach through, if you don't read the word on your own, you will not have deep roots in God's word. As individual disciples of Jesus, we need to take responsibility for our spiritual lives and make sure we are grounded in God's word. For me to be grounded in God's word, I am ultimately responsible for my grounding in the word, my depth of the roots I have in God's word. And while I am going to do all I can to assist and help in how I preach and what I preach, you are still the one who is ultimately responsible for the depth of your roots in God's word as well. Coming to church on Sunday And hearing one sermon that lasts 40 to 50 minutes and that's all you get for a week is not a replacement for reading God's word on your own every day of the week. This is what it means to be spiritually mature. The Bible refers to new Christians as babies and new Christians like physical babies need someone to feed them. And this is fine and this is normal in the way it's supposed to work. But if someone is 20 years old and they still have to be fed, it's a sign something is wrong in their life. They're not maturing. Things are not as they should be. In a similar way, a new believer needs someone to teach them God's word. What it says, what it means and how it applies. This is normal and good. But if you would say you've been a Christian... For 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And you can't get into God's word on your own. To get your own spiritual nourishment. To dig your own roots in deep. And something is wrong. And the something is wrong with you. You have a shallow understanding of God's word. You are not putting forth the effort to dig deep. How we listen to God's word determines. What we'll get out of God's word. So to get the most from God's word. We must dig deep in God's word. And then finally. Beware of distractions. 
Many times we miss what God's word has for us because our minds are crowded with other things. Our minds are filled with concerns about daily living, worries, plans, goals, ambitions, bills, and more. When our minds are full, our ears are distracted. And it never gives God's word a chance to sink to our hearts and bear the fruit it's supposed to. Jesus, in verse 18 and 19, compares these distractions with thorns. And others are the ones sown with seed among the thorns. They are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, enter and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These choke, keep it from bearing fruit. Now, Jesus gives us three broad categories of distractions, the worries of the world. The worries of the world could be any number of things. Problems, heartaches, concerns, or worries. I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about what those are because we live in the world. And therefore we have problems, heartaches, concerns, and worries. We know very well about the worries of this world and how they can, how they can choke the good seed out of our lives. The deceitfulness of wealth is another thorn Jesus warns us about. Now, God's word doesn't say money is sinful. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is neutral. It's not good or evil. It's how we use it and what we do with it that makes it good or bad. But it is possible for wealth, particularly the desire for wealth, to choke God's word out and prevent it from bearing any fruit in our lives. Think about the wealthy Laodiceans of Luke chapter, or I'm sorry, of Revelation chapter 3. They were lukewarm. They were They thought they were fine and in need of nothing, when in reality they were blind and naked and they were wretched. What was the cause of their lukewarmness? What was the cause of their issues? It was how much they had. Their wealth made them feel as though everything was fine in their life, when in reality, by Jesus' estimation, nothing was fine in their lives. What had happened was their wealth had made them feel self-sufficient. They didn't need God. They didn't need anyone. They had enough to take care of themselves. This this is the danger of wealth. When we have enough and life is fine, we're not as aware of our need for God as we should be. When we don't have enough and we aren't fine in our life, we are desperately aware of how much we need God. And so wealth can, doesn't have to, but it can cause us to feel self-sufficient. And when it does that, it would choke out God's word in our lives. And then the desire for other things. Uh, Luke's account records Jesus as saying the pleasures of this life. Now, since other things is such a big category, I'm going to focus on the pleasures of this life. Again, there's nothing wrong with pleasures. God is the one who gave us senses and abilities to enjoy pleasure. Uh, But we are to use them for his glory and use them in the way he wants us to use them. But what Jesus is talking about is we can be so focused on, on on seeking pleasure, we forget God's word. It's like we take a vacation from God's word. The, the pleasures of life aren't even necessarily sinful things. Now, obviously, it would include sinful pleasures, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. Any pleasure in this life can distract us from hearing God's word. It could be our computer. It could be our TV. It could be books. It could be friends, it could be sports, it could be any number of things. Now, none of those things are inherently evil. In fact, most of them are are good things. But depending on how we're wired, 
these things could become a problem by causing us to neglect God's word in favor of these pleasures. And while they aren't evil, they can easily become a distraction. So like for me, I'll give you an example from me. Technology is a distraction for me. I like technology. I like the ability to communicate with people anywhere in the world in just a few minutes by sending a text. I enjoy all aspects of technology as long as it's working like it's supposed to. And because I know that, and because I have technology, I have an Apple Watch that alerts me if I get a text, and my phone vibrates if I get a text, and my iPad vibrates if I get a text, and my MacBook makes a sound if I get a text. And so everything, I mean, I don't know how about you, I don't go through many much time in a day where I don't get a text, an instant message, an email, an alert, or something. If I'm trying to read God's Word, here's what I have to do to eliminate the distraction of technology. I have to close my iPad up. I have to turn my phone over. I have to put it on silent. And many times I'll even take my watch off. Also, and close my computer. Also, that when something beeps or bops or vibrates, I don't stop what I'm doing, pick it up, and check it out. Now, technology is not sinful. Technology is a good thing. But if I let every beep and boop and bop and vibration draw me away as I'm trying to read... I'm not getting anything out of God's Word as I read it. I can read all the chapters I'm supposed to read in a day and have gotten diddly squat out of it because halfway through every chapter, I stop to respond to a text, look at what it was, see what the alert was about. So that's how I have to eliminate the distraction. Be aware. Now, technology may not be that sort of elimination for you, that distraction for you. It may be TV. It it may be any number of other things. I, I don't know. But what I know is... We live in a distracting world. Everything in our world is noisy. Everything in our world demands for our attention immediately. But God's Word doesn't. God's Word doesn't beep and boop and vibrate and shake and say, look at me. It just sits there. And we have to go to it. And then we know all of this stuff here is trying to distract us. And what we have to do is find out what is the big distractions for us. And lay those things aside. And by laying them aside, I'm not talking about throwing them in the trash. I'm just saying laying them aside for a time, for a moment, while we spend our time in God's Word. We, the, again, the enemy seeks to steal. And one of the ways he would steal is to distract us in our time of God's Word. We have to be aware of that. And then we have to figure out what is a distraction for me. And then eliminate that distraction as I go to spend my time in God's Word. Like so, I, I, just with technology, because I get texts from people who apparently don't know I'm in church on a Sunday, I have to silence my, put my Apple Watch on silent in church so that it doesn't vibrate while I'm up here preaching, right? Because when it does, it distracts me and I wonder, who would text the pastor in church on Sunday? I wonder if somebody's died in my family, something. So I'm, anyway, so you have to do what you can to eliminate the distractions. How we listen to God's Word determines what we'll get out of God's Word. So to get the most from God's Word, we must be aware of and eliminate distractions from God's Word. So Jesus says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. It's a challenge, an admonishment, and a warning. It's a challenge telling us we get out of God's Word what we want to get out of God's Word. Those who want to get much out of God's Word will have ears to hear. They will prepare their hearts. They will dig deep. They will eliminate distractions and they will get much 
out of God's word. Since this is the case, be voracious for God's word. Cherish it. Grab hold of it. Dig into it. Study it with all of your mind. Because he who has ears to hear will hear. It's an admonishment revealing our need to know our own hearts. Jesus has shown us the soil of our lives will be judged by the fruit we bear. Any of us can say, I'm the good soil. But where's the fruit? Where is the evidence that God's word is bearing 30, 60, or 100 times from our time in it? It's an admonishment to examine our lives and look honestly and see what fruit do I have in my life from my time in God's word. If God's word would bear fruit and we could all be the good seed, the good soil, then we should see fruit from our lives. Where is it? And then it's a warning. Jesus is letting us know we are responsible for what we hear. The great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon illustrated this truth when he said, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. It's a challenging and amazing quote, but it's also true. What God's Word does in us and through us and for us depends on how we respond. When we reject and disobey God's Word, it hardens our hearts against God, against His Word, against His Son, and against His Spirit. It opens us up to self-deception and spiritual deception. And it just generally spiritually hurts us in all manner of ways. But when we receive God's Word and we do God's Word, it will strengthen us, encourage us, revive us, and just generally, spiritually help us. How will you respond to God's Word today? God invites you to know Him and experience Him through His Word. Right now, He's calling us to trust that His ways are best. He's calling us to be determined to put His Word into practice. He's calling us to experience His joy, His peace, and His presence. Answering God's call by digging into His Word, this is the path of blessing in life. God's Word blesses us as we receive it and as we put it into practice. God's Word is the key to experiencing all God has for us. God's Word is necessary to live the abundant life Jesus said He came to give us. But God's Word will only do these things as we put it into practice. So is there any area of your life that needs to be brought into conformity to God's Word today? Is there something you know God's Word says you should be doing, you're not doing, and you need to start doing it? Is there something you know God's Word says you shouldn't be doing, but you are doing, and you need to repent of it and stop doing it? Don't think about this, though, in terms of what you have to do. Rather, think about it in terms of what God has promised to do in you, through you, and for you as you put His Word into practice. While living God's Word out isn't always easy, it is always worth it. Let's stand.